श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय ग्रंथरा श्रीमद् भागवतम की जय भूत प्रेम नंदे सो वी रीडिंग फ्रॉम द सेकंड and answers, and within the answers, there are questions and answers, and so forth. It would be a good exercise for all of you to read the Bhagavatam, translations, for example, and try to learn how to follow the thread, where it's going, go through the first canto. Who asks what questions, where the answers are, where in the context of the answer, you go into another story, who's questioning and answering, and so forth. So, this is an extended answer of the first couple of questions. And today, a very significant verse, as I mentioned last night. Vadanti tat tat vidas tattvam yad gyanam advayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti shaddhusei. So, in the previous verse, it was mentioned that uh, life should be lived because it gives one a chance to inquire. Jivasya tattva jignasu. Jignasu means to inquire. Chance to inquire about the truth. There are many inquiries in human society. This will come up again in the second canto when Sukadev Goswami speaks. This canto is introducing the speech of Sukadev to Parikshit Maharaj, which begins, as I say, in the second canto that Sutta Goswami witnessed and is then now reiterating the essence of what Sukadev said in the assembly to the sages at Naimishananya. There he begins by this, with the same idea that there are many, many questions in human society. Hmm. Uh, but the questions, question, there's one question that's important, and that is the nature of the truth. Hmm. So life should be lived for that, for understanding the real nature of, of being. Hmm. And so now... The answer is coming to this kind of in a sense. The question isn't really asked, but just life should be lived on the one hand not for indriya priti, love of the senses. Kama sin indriya priti, labo jiveti abhata, jiva satatu jignasu nato yascheha karmabhi. It's such a noble idea. It should be lived because it gives us the chance to inquire in a way that the less complex forms of life cannot acquire. It gives us a chance to inquire beyond how, how to eat, how to sleep, how to pay, how to defend, and so forth. Hmm? The why questions, these are the re- answered by religion. Hmm? I told before, I mean, I'll mention it again, that I listened to a debate of a, two British fellows, a theist and an atheist, and when the theist made the argument that science can't answer the why questions, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's for measuring, of course. Science is for measuring. Mathematics is a language that, while it's descriptive, it lends itself to uh, assisting us in, in measuring and controlling and so forth. So we will theorize that you will never arise, arrive at comprehensive knowledge by trying to control. Maya means to measure. That's another meaning for the word, to measure. And reality cannot be measured. This is the idea. Krishna cannot measure himself. 
what to speak of us measuring Krishna. This is Chetandev. Krishna trying to measure himself. He says, I am the king of love. I see a measure of love in Radha that I have no experience of. I'm having an existential crisis. I thought I was the, the king of love. Her love sees anything that I know, that I experience. I want to taste that love. So the absolute exploring himself. So, as I said, even he cannot measure himself. And the nature of Prem is that, as Kaviraj Krishnas has described, it's full but ever-increasing. So these kind of ideas, they don't fit between the head. They can't grab them in the fist of your intellect and arrest them and so forth. Even the soul, Atma, is superior to the intellect. What to speak of the Paramatma, Bhagwan? Hmm? Intellect is not a suitable vehicle for um, understanding the nature of truth. It can be utilized in in that purpose hmm? by connecting, being connected with the descent of the Godhead's outreach to us. Large example of which is the scripture, the lives and the example and the teachings of the saints and so forth. This is all knowledge coming from up to down. So when we bring our mind, our intellect, our senses in touch with that and let them, let that be the master of them and explore their depths in this way. This is bhakti. Then we're in a transrational um, position. Bhakti is a transrational exercise. It doesn't mean that it's an irrational exercise. It, trans- it picks up where reason leaves off. Faith is a most rational thing. Hmm? If we have <laughs> some understanding of the nature of, of knowledge, hmm? we know we know. Uh, that the more we know, the less we know. The more we know, how little we know. <laughs> so that gives rise to kind of a faith, like that the, the more will be known in a different way, not entirely in a quantitative way, but in a qualitative way. So loving is is knowing. Hmm? Bhakti is when Krishna says in Gita, what it, he says in the beginning of the ninth chapter. That Rajavidya uh, Rajuguyam, I'm going to give now the king of knowledge, the, the king of secrets. The king, the king, so you're waiting for something big, you know, what, what's it going to be? The king of knowledge, what does he say? Manmanabhavamadbhakto, Madhyaji, Mamnamaskuru. He says, This is the king of knowledge, love me. Hmm? Um, offer your pranam to me, Mamnamaskuru, Madhyaji. You know, sacrifice for me. This is this is the king of knowledge. It sounds too simple. So, so intellect, not a suitable vehicle. Faith is the vehicle for going there, and faith comes from those who have faith. Faith means experience. Faith means the eradication of doubt. So, where there's faith, there's no doubt. That means there's, there's, there's a surety, there's a conviction. And there's a humility inside of that conviction. It's a very nice combination. There's a certainty that doesn't make one proud. A certainty. A certainty and a confidence 
in, um, in, in, in knowing that one cannot know everything. Some comfort with a level of uncertainty. Love is an uncertain affair. Yeah. It's, it moves between union and separation. Krishna himself is sitting with his friends Subal and picking clovers in Vrindavan. She loves me, she loves me not. What do you think, Subal? She loves me, she loves me not. And he'll say, Radhe, Radhe. She loves me, she loves me not. Hmm? So, at any rate, our task, our life, human life, should be lived because it gives us this kind of inquiry, opportunity to make this kind of inquiry, not just the how questions. The two we're debating, these, this, and, and these British theists and atheists, and the theists said that religion is for answering the why questions of life. And the scientists said, there are no why questions. There are only how questions. Of course, I thought, why do I have to listen to this? Such a, such a foolish idea. There are no why questions. Hmm. Well, that, is, that, is, that, is the, that is an existential question. We find it's present even in the whole, even in the center. Hmm. Why? Why do I feel the way I feel? This makes life um, exciting. We have for a very kind of dynamic idea of the absolute, not a static idea. It's static and dynamic together, but the more static, in that sense, full, complete, and still we are, the more that gives rise to a, to a celebration of one's fullness, which is another kind of movement, not a movement out of emp- running on empty, but the movement of running on full. That is a leela. So, at any rate, we have a great opportunity human life, this previous verse has said, it should not be wasted for sense indulgence. Opportunities, you know, wealth will be determined how we use money, not how much money we have. Wealthy people are always, you know, who's got the biggest piece of art or this or that or whatnot. You know, the money is, is nothing. How you spend it that determines whether you're a cultured and wealthy wealthy person. So human life is, 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 is an opportunity. How we spend it very valuable. How we spend it really determines our wealth. So here the emphasis is made. If we spend it for sense indulgence only, then very unbecoming. Hmm? Very unbecoming. We just become a big beast. No, it should be used in human life because it gives us a chance to make this kind of inquiry. And of course it doesn't go unanswered. Hmm? There is an answer. Here's the answer here. Mm-hmm. So what is the nature of the um, the absolute truth? Sutta Goswami says that the tattvavidha, learned people, he says, not just anybody. This isn't just the run-of-the-mill opinion, but learned people. Hmm? Um, the rishis he's referring to. They say that the basis of, tr- of, the, of, the, of the truth, of the nature of being, is that it's consciousness. So this is all Vedantins accept this, this premise. Consciousness is the basis. This is not a popular idea in, um, in the scientific, secular community today. Hmm? 
their idea is that, of course, that con- we talked about it before, that the consciousness is reducible to matter. It's something that goes on in the brain, and then they're going to figure it out in due course, what it is, and uh, problem solved then. Hmm. Uh, there's lights around, but there's nobody home. And that's the end of religion, and live happily ever after. <laughs> no more why questions. This is the last frontier for science consciousness. And CNN interview some some time ago, um, Richard Dawkins, famous atheist, made this point when asked, what's the last frontier? He said, consciousness. And one of those, when we close that gap, it's over. Hmm? But how far they are from that is is about as far as you could possibly get. That's a fact. I've given that example before of, what's his name? John Cyril, who teaches at Berkeley. He's he's, um, a leading um, person in the philosophy of mind, which deals with consciousness. And um, he made a statement that, that he felt that in a thousand years, of science, we, we would, if we could just get free from this burden of religious thinking, we would be, able, we'll be able to demonstrate that consciousness is matter. I mean, if he could just, it's like Saraswati was dancing on his tongue. You know, Saraswati, the goddess of knowledge, was dancing on his tongue. He's saying one thing, but the meaning is entirely different for anyone who had had a brain. Hmm. He's saying one thing, thinking it's around the corner, and I'm going to think for a minute a thousand years of science. This is about as far away as you could possibly get. Science has only been around for 200 years. Its discoveries and whatnot are expanding exponentially. A year of science now is worth 200 years of science that's passed already. A thousand more years at that rate, that means you're, you know nothing about consciousness. You're nowhere near demonstrating your premise. Hmm? And, of course, we don't think that religious thinking of the past is a burden. We think it's quite burdensome, on the contrary, to think, to embrace a very counterintuitive idea that has no empirical basis. That idea that consciousness is matter. That, that there's no, like I say, that the lights are on, but there's nobody home. This idea that there's a you, that there's a self, that there's an I. They think this is just a trick, trick of the brain. That's all. Something there, and, and in that field, there are there are a dozen at least or more different theories contradicting one another and so forth. So it's a real grab bag. And in the context of that, also there are some who, um, to the same extent, I shall say, if not more, on the basis of empiric evidence, have um, proposed theories about the nature of consciousness that support the idea that it is. that it is fundamental, that it is the basis of life, that it is different from matter, dualistic, like that Professor Stapp, who I like, he also teaches at Berkeley. He has a theory of quantum, what is quantum, quantum interactive, quantum interactive dualism. He said an alternative, he has a book like this, alternative to materialism. So why don't I go with that? Mm-hmm. You know, it's as good as any other one out there, and it's, it supports our intuitive sense 
that, that in, that's what gets us up in the morning, that we exist. That's our first-person subjective experience. We exist, we are consciousness. And that there's downward causation. We think, and then the body responds accordingly, and, and so forth. So, anyway, and this is the old idea. And it's not a burdensome old idea. It's the idea that where consciousness goes, as I say, naturally, hmm, unburdened by... Um, by, by uh, intellect unhinged from revelation and in pursuit of material amenities and, um, and such, which is what technology has been doing with scientific findings for years. So, so this, this is the old idea, and it's a good one. Consciousness is the basis of reality, so they say. Vedanti tattvavidas tattvam yadgyanam advayam. And exploring that, now this is where the Bhagavatam excels. point here in one sense is that this Bhagavatam is not an old book on a shelf that's no longer relevant, full of superstitious stories and six and eight and ten hundred-headed people and handed and so forth. It does have its interesting stories and... Uh, Let's speak of perhaps different dimensions and so forth. Uh, um, but um, for that matter, so this string theory, a popular scientific theory today. But at any rate, what the book is about is important. There are many things packed in this book that aren't necessarily what it's about, but they're placed in there to serve what it's about. It's a kind of a packaging. There's a, there's a, there's a theme in here. There's a, there's a central... Um, uh, subject, uh, discussion. What is it about? Satyam Param Dimahi. This is what the book says it's about. Hmm? It's about meditating on the absolute truth here and now. In this verse, we're defining the nature of that truth. It's of the nature of consciousness. So, this is a very, what I mean to say is very, very relevant topic. It's surrounded with a cosmology of uh, um, that um, speaks of subtle worlds and uh, um, a different perspective than the one of modern science today and so forth. It speaks socially in a different way hmm, than our social times. But if we look at it carefully, it speaks in a cutting-edge way about social, social norms. The whole of the center of the Bhagavatam finds these women of the village foregoing the dharma hmm? and the restrictions that religion has placed upon them, where they can do, what they cannot do. And they rise to the height of the highest uh, satisfaction of the Supreme, hmm? the Brajsundaris, the beautiful ladies of, of the Braj. This is a total, if you study this carefully, this is a total break. Hmm? Like I say, like this is a New Testament of the, of the Vedic texts. It's a total break from the social or religious norms of the time. It's, it's very pushing the envelope, very revolutionary. Hmm? Breaking from the Dharma, so to speak, the Varnashram, and, and, um, and, uh, and placing that relative truth in perspective in relation to the absolute truth. When they go along parallel lines, fine. But when the relative starts to go here, then we will have to go with the absolute. They will... It will go like this for some time. They'll just be a little bit different in the beginning, but then they'll go like this. So, 
you have to make the make the cut, so to speak, and go with the absolute. So it's a very anyway exciting book, the Bhagavatam. Very exciting, very revolutionary, and the central topic is again a very a cut topic that's very relevant today. It's about consciousness, the nature of consciousness, and it speaks about it in in not in an introductory way. The Upanishads speak about consciousness in an introductory way. The Bhagavatam speaks about it in a, in a, in a postgraduate way. Hmm? This isn't 101 on consciousness. No, this is 1008 on consciousness. Here we come and we, we, we learn from Bhagavatam the, the nature of the consciousness of consciousness. This is what Chaitanya, Krishna Chaitanya means. Hmm? What is Radha's love for Krishna? This is the love is the consciousness of consciousness. It's a very complex and uh, beautiful, poetically poetic and beautiful, um, profound understanding. So here's the beginning of that, and it says the nature of the absolute truth is that it, at its basis it's consciousness, not matter, and uh, it. What is the nature of that consciousness? Advaigan. Advai. Advai means no other. Advai means non-dual. Hmm? Gyanam here means consciousness. Advai gyan tattva. Hmm? This is the, so. This then we think we have to be careful. This is non-dual knowledge. This the, we hear this from Adi Shankar, for example. The idea of non-duality. There's a seminar going on right now in Marin County. It's called Sand. Is an acronym for science and non-duality, and um, there are at least a dozen, maybe more, non-dualists, neo-advaitans. We could we could call them hmm? uh, lettered men and women, most of them, and they're all gathering to speak about science and non-duality. This, I like to say that. Science was born as a Christian. Then as it started to grow up, it became agnostic. Now in its uh, adolescence, maybe a little its youth beyond adolescence, it's become uh, an atheist. And in the end, it will become a mystic. So we'll meet inside the atom. You know, you, you look as far as you can to understand that basic building blocks and you find yourself in there. <laughs> you find you're a factor in all this and, and, a, and a wave turns into a whatever, a particle and and, uh, and so on. The wacky world of, you know, of the sub- subatomic world, so to speak. Um, so, you know, they're, they're much fond of that and there's a lot of abuse of that as scientists would readily uh, claim some quasi science and quasi spirituality put together, but but nonetheless, there's some much substance to that. Henry Stapp, very very well known and uh, respected uh, physicist that I mentioned earlier, his um, his uh, theory deals with looking at the brain mind problem, whether mind and brain are different or they're one, whether they're matter or they're different. And substance um, from a quantum perspective, 
Nobody has tried to solve this problem from a quantum perspective, but rather from a classical physics perspective. So it's a, it's a very fresh look. At any rate, they're gathered there in Marin County for the conference on non-duality in science. But their idea of non-duality, non-dual consciousness, is a neo-Advaitan idea, which is a popular idea. But it tends to be very... Um, um, very, well, it tends to be very different than Shankar. If you take Shankar, for example, Adi Shankar had such regard for the Ishwar, as he would put it, and the Purna Brahma, Krishna. He would call it, Adi Shankar would call Krishna the fullest form of the Saguna Brahman, most complete. Uh, we, we take exception to that hmm, idea. We think that Krishna is nirguna, that he has no material qualities. He's not Brahman in a material form that's temporary and so forth. But, but at the same time, if we had as much love for the saguna conception of Purna Brahma Krishna that Shankar has for our Krishna, <laughs> we would be doing good. <laughs> I mean, if you read Madhusudan Saraswati, a great uh, later-day follower of Shankar who is the contemporary of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, I mean, he's, he has such affection for Krishna, such love for for that Saguna Brahman conception of Krishna. Uh, it's hard to meet a devotee who has, as I say, that much sentiment, that much devotion for the their 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 philosophical Krishna. You see, our Krishna is rather a philosophical person. He becomes a real person in Bhav Bhakti. Or that he's a theoretical kind of philosophical person, and then <laughs> uh, Bhagavati becomes a real person. So there, anyway, they have no regard for this. For, you know, they will dismiss the Ishwar and the Krishna and all these kind of things. So this is a very, like, if you will, Protestant form of of Advaita. <laughs> They don't, uh, you know, devoid of you know, often of, of ritual, and it's like you know, thought of as pure vivek, you know, pure in, inquiry that stops all inquiry. Um, the question is, you know, stop, a, stop question. As you question, there's an I. So you know, there's no questions. That's an easy way to get a, get out of answering anything. Questions, I suppose. But at any rate, they have respect for what they're trying to do. Uh, to an extent, but they have a different idea uh, of advaigan or non-dual consciousness than we do. And here, it's further explained then in the last two lines of the verse: Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti, Shabdite. So these, this is three different perspectives on the advaigan tattva. Advaigan tattva means non-dual, non-dual here, but there's a trinity at the same time. Hmm? There's Brahman, there's Paramatma, there's Bhagavan. What these are are three different moments, if you will, in the life of the Absolute. Hmm? Being, knowing, and feeling. Being, knowing, and feeling. I be, I know, I feel. Hmm? This is Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagwan. Hmm? There can be an existence that is unknowing. Matter exists, but it doesn't know itself. But if you have an existence 
But if you have a cognitive reality, it has to exist. You can have an existence, it's not cognitive. But if your reality is cognitive, then it also has to exist, right? But you could have a cognitive existence that wasn't joyful. But if existence is joyful, then it must exist and it must be cognitive. So the Brahman here and the Paramatma, the existential and the cognitive features, the being and the knowing of the Absolute, are concomitant to the feeling of the Absolute. So the feeling, in other words, all three cannot exist unless there's the feeling. The feeling means ananda. This is ananda, joy. This is the purpose of the Absolute, which means, no, there's no purpose. It's a purposeless purpose. He does everything out of joy. Out of the joy that he is only. Out of the love that he is. Because at the root, this Advaigyan Tattva, this, this non-dual consciousness, that is the, 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 is the, uh, the, uh, the nature of being, it's anandam, joyful. Because it's joyful, therefore it exists, and therefore it has a cognitive aspect. So some transcendentalists, as I said two verses back, Dharma Sunastita Pumsam, uh, what was it? Uh, the other one, Dharma Sihi Apavargasya. Dharma is for Apavarga. So he's speaking, Apavarga means Brahman for the Gyanis. It means Paramatma for the Yogis. And it means Bhagwan for the devotees. These are three kinds of transcendentalists. So three perceptions relative to the paths. Krishna says, Jajatamam Prapadyante. As they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So some reciprocate with the existential feature of the Absolute hmm? through the path of Gyan, some with the, um, the cognitive aspect, the Paramatman, and some with the Anandam aspect. That doesn't mean there's no Ananda in Brahma, there's a little, hmm? and little, 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 little knowing. And in, and in, and in Paramatma also. But, uh, but the balance is shifted. Look at the balance, how it shifts. Sananda Goswami says, in Brahman realization, there's a little bliss. There's the, ah, you know, the bliss of the relief. Hmm? He says, if you could take, Sri Rupa says, that, that um, Brahman and multiply it, the entirety of it, if there was such an entirety of something that's infinite, he's just using language to try to talk about it, multiplied a trillion fold, Brahman, a trillion fold, it would not compare in bliss to a tiny, tiny atomic particle of brain. So, this is a statement, Dr. Smith, the point here is that there is some bliss in Brahman. There's some knowing there. But the prominent feature is is eternal existence. Therefore, those who want to enter there, they they want to they want to, like for example in Shankar school, they want to extinguish knowledge, the knower, and the object of knowledge. So anyway, you go to Paramatma. Knowing is more the cognitive feature is more prominent, 
some bliss there too. You can go to this is this is you know, Ishwar Pranidhan. This is this is Yoga Sutra. The, the prominent yoga teachers, two of the most prominent yoga teachers in the Western world today, are Iyengar and the recently, not too long ago, deceased um, Patabi Joyce. They were both students of Krishna Namacharya. He's in Ramanuja Sampradaya. Um, the Ramanuja Sampradaya, their bhakti is the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, basically, which is Astanga Yoga mixed with bhakti. The goal, Vaikuntam. His stated goal, Krishna Namacharya, was attaining Vaikuntam. Hmm? Ishvar Pranidhan. This is found in the, in the Yoga Sutras. So, some bliss there. Hmm? Now you go to Bhagwan and Sri Krishna. Swami hmm? Bhagwan. How much bliss is there? Hmm? So much bliss is there that the, the, his own knowledge... Hmm? That he's that he's Bhagwan, he's the source, is obscured by the bliss. His existence comes into question by himself. Hmm? He, he Krishna is, is God in having an existential crisis by the force of bliss. Radha's bliss, Radha's prem, puts Krishna in an existential crisis. I thought I was the center of love. I'm off balance. Maybe I'm not. So, so the equation is shifted. The bliss is prominent in Bhagwan. The fact that he exists and knows. I mean, Krishna Lila is not knowing that Krishna is God. And it's Krishna not knowing that he's God. The bliss is a real knockout there. <laughs> it's totally, you know, total blissed out <laughs> kind of a situation. Hmm. So, at any rate, the way this is mentioned, Brahmiti, Paramatmiti, Bhagavaniti, Shabdite, also, Shiji will make the argument that the way that Bhagavan is placed here, the word in relation to the other two indicates its, as well its, its uh, significance over the other two. But again, as I'm explaining it, it's, it's, it should be clear that if existence is to be blissful, the other aspects have to be there, the other moments, if you will in the life of the Absolute. Hmm. But you could have an existence that was cognizant and not blissful. You could have an existence that was not cognizant and so forth. So, three together and Bhagavan is the, is the, is the, is the, is the uh, primal. Hmm. Bhagavan has an antaryami hmm, feature entering the hearts, entering the world. He has an existential feature, his halo, and so forth. So, the different transcendentalists, they will approach these different um, faces, if you will, um, of the absolute truth. <laughs> and a nice word this ends with, shabdite. So, the learned people, they say on the basis of shabda. Shabda means the sound. Shastra. This is what it means to be learned. Then, to be learned means to understand that 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 comprehensive knowing will come from by by a comprehensive method. Perfect knowing requires a perfect means. This is the perfect means to fold your hands. Otherwise, imperfect instruments, mind, intelligence. This is not what help us. This will not get us perfect knowledge. We situate ourselves in such a way that perfection seeks to reveal itself to us. That is the shabda. Hmm? 
So on the basis of the Shabda, learned people say, God it is non-dual. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan Iti, Shabdite. And a word about non-dual. Swagatabed. Hmm? What is it? Um, Swagatabed. Vijatabed, uh, Sajatabed. These three things. Abed means um, non-difference. So, Adbai, same thing, non-duality. Three types of things. Three, these three things have to be in place for something to be non-dual. It has to be consistent within itself. Its parts have to be non-different from it. Hmm? If the part is different from the whole, then it's not non-dual. This is a technical um, idea of, of non-duality. If it's... Swajati um, Abed means something of a different class. Hmm? If you have two glasses and one is a big glass and one is a small glass, then there's some difference. Hmm? So things of a different, uh, of the same class, it's not different from. And Vijatibhid means things of a different class. So it's not different from things of a different class. So for example, then how is Bhagwan non-different? Well, he's yasyandri, sakalendri, vittimanti, pashanti, panti, chalai, kalayanti, His parts are interchangeable. So he's, 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 uh, is uh, there's no internal difference, hmm? and his avatars, let's say, they're of the same class. They're Vishnu Tattva. Hmm? There's no difference between him and them either. Hmm? They're dependent upon him. They are expressions of himself. Hmm? They are they are emotional moments of himself in relation to different devotees. And then there are the jivas, or there's the world. We could be considered as a different class, vibhinamsa, hiswamsa. But, and the world is different, it's matter instead of consciousness. But there's no difference because these are shaktis of Bhagwan that are dependent. So they don't have a different existence. We don't have a separate existence from Bhagwan. Therefore, when people say, "Well, how did we get here?" and you know, who's to blame? You say, "There's nobody to blame. <laughs> there's no, there's no other. So, who's to blame? It's only Bhagwan interacting with his shaktis as he sees, sees fit. We happen to be one of the, one of those shaktis constituted as one of those shaktis. So, the idea in a chintibeta bed is that the shaktis are non-different from the Godhead because they have no separate existence. At the same time, they can be talked about in ways that would make them seem different. Like heat and light and fire. Well, you can't have fire and not have heat and light, but you can talk about heat, light, and fire as if they're different things at the same time. So these kind of examples are given to help us understand this idea of how in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, the, un- the absolute truth is varied but still non, non-dual. It's a, so it's a very nuanced kind of um, non-duality, a very dynamic, if you will, non-duality, rather than a static non-duality of, of um, for example, Advaita Vedanta. There everything is, comes to a stop. Shanti, shanti, shanti. The, the, the world, the movement of the world is a problem. We move because we want 
stop wanting, stop suffering, as the Buddha would say, and sit peacefully. But Mahaprabhu reasoned that if you're really full, you get up and dance and celebrate your fullness. You move out of fullness, not out of emptiness. And that is Leela. Hmm? And then everything starts to, you know, when I talk to people, if I, if I give a class to people who are unfamiliar, but somewhat familiar with yoga and Vedanta, you know, it's easy to take them from the world to Brahman. Hmm? These are two polar opposites. It's consciousness and matter. Things are here today, gone tomorrow, you endure, and so forth. Then when you get there, then you have to start talking about forms and names that don't that endure, and movement in Brahman and so forth, and the head starts to, to spin. So this, then, is the kind of knowledge hmm, that Shastra is about. Shastra is about the kind of knowledge that you can't get elsewhere. Hmm? It comes from up to down. The idea that we are consciousness and the world is matter could be arrived at without Shastra. It's just the polar opposite. To say we're material and to go to the other side to say we're, we're consciousness. And consciousness is different from matter. Hmm? But when consciousness is different from matter and one with matter at the same time, and then you need help from above for that, <laughs> that kind of discourse. Hmm? Baladev Vidibhushana, the great Vedantist of Bodhi Sampradaya, who wrote the Shibasya commentary on Vedanta Sutra, makes an argument something like that. Hmm? And, and, and he's, he's a follower of this Dvaita Vada or Chintibeda Ved of, of Jiva Goswami. Hmm. That, um, again, the, the, just the polar opposite of material life, that, that doesn't take a big brain to figure out. By introspection, you could, you could come to that idea. But at the, at the nature of Leela and how Brahman is one with the Shakti's indifference, so this is a whole different thing. This requires some help. Hmm. So, this verse again is an important verse. It's a verse that the, that the it's um, uh, Sundarva, the Bhagavad Sundarva are based on this verse, and we find a Natatva Sundarva, the last verse of the Mangal Charan Jiva Goswami. Um, is his own verse that includes this verse hmm? and another verse, another line from another verse, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami, to show you again how this verse is important, he took this verse and on the basis of this verse he wrote his own verse, which is the Vastunudesh Shloka of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's the verse in the Chaitanya Charitamrita that says what the whole book's about. It goes something like this. Uh, what is it? Um, it says that Advaitam Brahmopanasharita Pyasatunova Antyatbantaryami Purusho Itiso Shamsa Vibhava Sadaishvari Purnasiha Bhagavansa Swaya Mayamna Chaitanat Krishna Jagati Paratatvam Param Iha. He says Advaitam Brahmopanasari, that which is called Advaita in the in the Upanishads. Tanubha Tanubha. This is the the bha of his tanu, hmm? <laughs> of his body, tanu. This is this is the effulgence. Atman tariyami purusho itiso shamsa vibhava. As Brahman, the Paramatma, the antaryami. This is his um, uh, his prakash, hmm? his partial manifestation. Uh, and sadaishvari purusti ha bhagavan sasvayam mayam then. 
that uh, Narayan and Vaikuntha who sports there. This is his Vilas expansion. Who is that person? Sri Krishna Chaitanya. Hmm. <laughs> so it's based on this verse. It's based on another verse, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swami. He's saying Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. Krishna, the Brahman effulgence, is coming from him. The Paramatma is coming from him. Hmm. He's the non-dual reality, the subject of the Bhagavatam. And I'll conclude with this. Here we find the verse philosophically mentioned. Right Later in this book, all these philosophical points that will be brought out are demonstrated in the Leela of Krishna. Hmm? They're all played out in the Leela. <laughs> so where is this verse played out in this point? When Krishna was... Um, went to observe the uh, Shivaratri, I believe it was, with um, Nanda Maharaj and so forth. And Nanda Maharaj bathed in the uh, Jamuna in what was thought to be in an, in an, in an inappropriate time with regard to the observant, the strict observance of Ekadasi. Of course, our charge has shown actually he wasn't wrong. And Varuna's representatives who arrested him were actually wrong about that. But anyway, he was arrested by the Varuna, who's the god of the waters, and taken to the bottom. And so Krishna went there to save him, right? And when he went there to save him, Varuna made this prayer, Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavan. Uh, he says, you are Brahman, you are Paramatma, you are Bhagavan. Varuna is saying it's on... And Nandamars is there, bubbling underwater. <laughs> they yeah. go, oh, that's really incredible. So when they came up to the top, you know, he said, Varun said this about my son. That's incredible. He's got mystic powers. We know that. Narayan is said to, to do wonderful things through him. That's when they asked Krishna, can you tell us what our next life will be? Hmm? And, of course, he showed them Goloka. And they were happy. Their cows were there. Their friends were there, their houses were there, no problem. <laughs> Which they're all, of course, attached to, as they should be. They're all dear to Krishna, all these things. To be attached to what is dear to Krishna is to be attached to Krishna. So anyway, there, in the context of the Leela, this point is brought out again. Any question? Yes? We say that... The dependence of Shakti and Bhagavan is found out. It doesn't totally seem to follow that found godly just from dependence. Means there's no other. No other. They don't have an independent existence. There's no Satan, there's no there's no competitor. This is Brahman. And the Brahman is constituted of of Prasashakti, we would die, we should innumerable shaktis and potencies. Just like you. Do we, do we think that your energy is different from you? No. If we want to talk about you, say, oh, we know Nitai, he's a big cheese. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a cheese here. So, the, so, so we see the cheese and we see him. We think, here he is. <laughs> Again. So by your energy, in other words, by your shakti, we, 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 we know you. We talk about you in terms of what you do. And what you do is by your potencies, by your shaktis. They're not different from you. In fact, they tell us, they get us closer to you. That's why the shakti of Bhagwan, the shakti of the Absolute, 
takes us most close to the Absolute. Krishna looks more beautiful standing next to Radha. Hmm? Krishna means next to Radha. Hmm? Krishna means Brahman. Hmm? As seen through the light of his Shakti is the most comprehensive way of seeing. Hmm? The Shakti is obscured in Brahman. What do we know about the Absolute by knowing Brahman compared to knowing Krishna? And what is that knowing of Krishna? That is that what Radha is. Radha is the, is the pinnacle and the fountainhead of devotion. Hmm? She is Bhakti Devi. Hmm? So, is Radha different from Krishna? <laughs> yes or no? <laughs> Another question? Yeah. But he does make an argument along those lines. All right, so we'll stop there. Grantaras, Srimad Bhagavatam, Kijai, Gold Teranda Kijai, Chigal Vaishnav, Paramparaki Jai.